All right, anybody in here like to celebrate? All right, all right, man, that's not bad for a Sunday morning, sweet. I love to celebrate, and this week, I'm celebrating 20 years with that woman right there. Yeah! And you're all invited. No, you're not, forget it. I'm going out with her alone and none of you. No, but I, I made a decision after I married her, because I waited 34 years for that girl right there. It was a long wait, but it was so worth it that I remember after I got married, I'm like, I am going to celebrate our anniversaries, no holds barred. I don't care. So the first year of our anniversary, Susie and I just happened to be on a mission trip to Paris. Yes, suffering for Jesus. Um, but it is kind of crazy because I can't get into this, but they literally call Paris the missionary graveyard. If you read the history of France, they did everything they could to get God out of that country. And so churches, they just can't, they can't get them going. It's super tough. So we were actually going to see if we could help a church get established there. Well, it's our first year anniversary. So I tell the gal that we're staying with, they said, hey, this week is my anniversary, first year. I don't know Paris, you do. Would you find a restaurant for me? And I go, and I don't care. I want to go all out. You find, money is not an, it's, it's, I don't care. Just, yeah, in Paris. I don't care. So I come home and she comes up, it meets me at the door and she goes, I am so excited. She goes, this is going to be amazing. You're going to have to wear my husband's coat. Susie will have to wear my dress. She goes, I got you a place at Les Ambassadors. So it's this restaurant right across from the U.S. Embassy. So here Susie and I walk into this place, two-story high ceiling, everything is marble, right? It's just frescoes everywhere. It's just unbelievable, the experience. So we walk in, and immediately, right, they're greeting us. Long story short, I think we had five or six guys, yeah, doing just our table, just the two of us, right? We sit in, and we look around, and there's this Japanese dignitary who was sitting there. I don't know if he moved a muscle. He definitely didn't smile, and neither did his wife. But the six or seven young people in their 20s were having the time of their life. There's another old guy, and he's sitting there. It took about two hands for him to hold the cigar. It was so big, and he's just puffing it, <laughs> taking his wine. And he, he's got this 25-year-old girl next to him. I'm like, all right, this is an interesting place. But we come out, seven-course meal, like, unbelievable. I still, and I've celebrated for 20 years, but nothing like this. It was, it was fantastic. At one point, Susie actually had to go to the bathroom. So as soon as she moved her chair, she's like, boom, a guy's there. Pulls out the chair for her. She gets up, walks out. Another guy comes with tongs and takes her napkin off the table. Another guy comes and brings a new one for her. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, okay, all right, this is getting a little freaky. She comes down and she sits down in the chair and she goes and they, they push her into the seat and then she's kind of moving her back a little bit and another guy comes with a pillow and sticks it behind her back in between the chair. I mean, it was unbelievable. I could go on and on, but I have a message I need to share with you. But I mean, we got done with that experience. I'm telling you, it was awesome. And ever since that day, every year, I don't care. I'm looking, I do. I look for the best restaurant. I look for the best hotel. I'm celebrating this woman. And I just want to tell you, now why am I doing that? Because it reminds me, and I do, you are, you are the greatest gift to me. 
that God has given me outside of Jesus Christ. So if you have this amazing gift, don't you celebrate it? Yeah. yeah. So I just want to tell you, you do. And then it gives me a chance to tell her, I value you. There is no one who comes close on this planet. I value you. Even in our budget, man. I mean, I want to celebrate our kids' birthdays. I really do, because I love them. Their birthday budget is squat compared to our anniversary. <laughs> and it helps us to reestablish. When you celebrate, it helps you to reestablish the commitment that you have to one another. Celebration, here's my phrase, celebration, it keeps you going. <laughs> celebration keeps you going. So man, guys, celebrate your spouse. Let them know, man, there's nobody who is close to you. And what do we do? When we have our anniversaries, what do we do? We always do three things, it just naturally happens. We reminisce, right? You sit there and you think about all the great things that have happened. And then we look at each other and we just are enjoying, we are fully enjoying that moment. And then every time we start dreaming, we just start dreaming, we start thinking about our future. And I, I just want to tell you, I think that partly, if I, as I reflect on this, I think partly the reason I celebrate that woman so much is because God taught me to do that. God actually is a God who loves to celebrate. Did you guys know this? Yeah. Okay, that's why I thought like two of you, <laughs> two of you. And I'm telling you, when we're done here, I just hope you will understand. God loves a party and he celebrates. In fact, to the point where he mandated that people would celebrate. Look at this, Exodus chapter 23. By the way, so what we're doing, if, you're, if you haven't been with us, this is the last, series, uh, last message in a series called From the Old to the New. And we've been looking at the Old Testament practices of the Israelites and how they relate to us today. So we've looked at the covenants, and we looked at atonement, and we looked at offerings last week, and now we're looking at festivals. Here we go, Exodus 23. Here's God. Three times a year, you are to celebrate. Yeah. Not once, three times. To me, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. Okay, this doesn't sound that great yet. So... It's like, my, it's like my family. Everybody's like gluten-free and vegan, and I'm like, poor Caleb and I, you know. All right, dude, let's go over and get a steak. Um, all right. Seven days, no yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. By the way, right, y'all? When you're celebrating your anniversary, don't you just love to give your spouse a gift? Oh my God, you guys are good. We're going to do another message on uh, anniversaries. Um, you love it. Anybody you love, you love to give them. God's like, don't come to me empty-handed. Okay, we're going to celebrate. Celebrate the festival of the harvest with the first fruits of your crop that you sow in your field. And celebrate the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year. All the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Now notice, here's what's interesting about God when he commands them to celebrate. Is he says, everybody, everybody comes together. Three times a year, all the Israelites had to come to Jerusalem. Can you picture that? 
thousands and thousands of people coming together. And so here's what you need to understand, and we've been going through this this whole series. Salvation for the Israelite, for the Jewish person, wasn't individual. It was communal. Yes, yes. You have a personal relationship with God. I have a personal relationship with God. But that is evidenced by love for him and love for each other. When God is saving the Israelites, he's saving the community. And that's why we're here. Why do you go to church? People say, I don't have to go to church. I know you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. But as soon as you found Jesus, you became a part of the church. <laughs> this whole thing is like, my, life, my faith is private. No, it's not. It's not. How can your faith be private if the way you live it out is by loving each other? <laughs> it's a communal thing that God does. And so, and one more thing. He saved this group of people and had all these festivals because he had a purpose. He wanted to use these people to bring his kingdom to earth. This was a crazy time, crazy stuff going on, just like our world today. And God was like, I need a group of people who will be a blessing to all people. That's what he said to Abraham. You will be a blessing to all people. So he was saving the people to be a community that loved each other who would actually show God's ways to the world. All right? So what do we do? The same thing that I do with Susie in my anniversary is the same thing that God said. We get together and we go, thank you, God. Thank you for the amazing gift that you are to me and all that you've done. And I highly value you, God. I highly value you. That's why I celebrate you, and I'm all in. That's it, man. I am all in to the end with that woman. And we say to God, I am all in. All right? So here we go. Let's look at these three festivals. Three festivals. The first one is called Passover. Passover. Now, most of you have heard that word. After hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt, God called Moses and he said, I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. A couple chuckles because we all heard too many songs as kids about that. And then after nine various plagues, God had a tenth one because Pharaoh wouldn't let his people go. Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. He says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The tenth plague was the firstborn son of every family was going to die. And so God said, to save your firstborn son, you will take a lamb and you will sacrifice that lamb, and you will take the blood, and you will put it over your doorway, and when I see the blood over that doorway, I will pass over you, and that plague won't touch you. Verse 14, he said, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days, you are to eat bread made without yeast. Exodus 12, 17. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on the very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And then the chapter later, Exodus 13, 8, Moses says, On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Do you guys set up Passover? is a celebration of the past. 
It's a celebration of the past, and it's a celebration of God's rescue. Do we have that up there? There we go. Celebrate the past, then you're celebrating God's rescue. And what's amazing, if when you read the Psalms, you'll see they are constantly in their worship. Remember, you guys, remember what God did. Because when you remember how faithful God was to you and what he did for you, it keeps you going. Celebration keeps you going. And it was a major celebration. The blood of the lamb causing the death to pass over them. The feast of unleavened bread. Why did they eat seven days? Could they have no bread with any yeast in it? The scriptures say is to remember the haste in which you had to leave. You didn't have time to wait for the bread to rise. It's like they're coming after you. You got to go. And so it was a symbol to remember that. And I, when I think about that, I think God's saying there should be nothing hindering you to move with me. Nothing should hinder you to move with me. When I say go, you go. I think that's why yeast became known as sin. Right? In the New Testament, yeast is almost always known as sin. There was nothing in the bread. There wasn't time. When God says move, you go. And then they celebrated the parting of the Red Sea. The deliverance. And again, you and I, we're just like, yeah, we've all read the Bible story. Come on. How amazing. Unbelievable. Pharaoh's going to take them down, and God does this miraculous thing. And so remember that. Remember the past. Remember God's rescue. Keep going. So they read the Psalms, and they celebrate. And God says, come every year and celebrate the Passover and the, bread of the, and the feast of the unleavened bread. And you know what's amazing, too? It's because of this act. And when you read the Bible, it says, and therefore all people will know that there's a God in Israel. Part of the reason God did this was so that the Israelites would go out and people would go, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the crew right there that actually escaped Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. Their God, the Israelite God, parted the Red Sea so they could get through and then it swallowed up their enemies. You don't want to mess with them. See, all Israelite knew that there was a God. All the people, I'm sorry, knew that Israel had a living God. You know what the Passover was? You know what the Exodus was? It was their testimony. They had a story to tell of God's deliverance. And God used it to help the world know that he was alive. And then in Mark, and now let's jump to the New Testament, Mark chapter 14 Verse 12, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the, eat the Passover? See, because Jesus was a faithful Jew. And so they was going to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And then we call this the Last Supper. In Luke 22, it says, and he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it because this is the Seder meal. Again, have you guys, how many of you have heard of the Seder meal? Help me out here, okay? It's a, it's a meal where, the, where they would recount this whole story of God's deliverance and every piece of the meal was symbolic to help them to understand. So Jesus, in the middle of this meal, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is now the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, and remember, this is really important. There's three times where all of Israel has to come to Jerusalem. And Passover is one of them. So all of the Jews are in Jerusalem when Jesus Christ is going to lay down his life on the cross. They're all going to be there to witness his death and his resurrection. For the world. Why? Because God loves the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, Paul says this. He says, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. See, Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. He's our Passover lamb. It is his sacrifice that we celebrate. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. There's a new covenant, a new way, a new savior. I am the Passover lamb. And then so in Colossians chapter one, Paul says this, and giving joyful thanks, right? Because these were festivals. They, in fact, the scriptures in the Old Testament said, when you come to these festivals, you come with joy. You rejoice. And so here's Paul saying, give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so every year God's saying, don't forget what I've done for you. And so every year, what do we do as Christians? We get together, Good Friday and Easter, and we celebrate the Passover lamb who died to cover us from our sins and who rose again to reconcile us to God. And what do we do? It's so crazy, right? Because every Easter, the place gets packed out. <laughs> That's a good thing. Because <laughs> everybody came together for the festivals. And we remember the past. God has forgiven all your sin. And I want to tell you, man, that's what keeps you going. Celebrating that keeps you going. Why do we do communion here? Why do we celebrate communion? Every, every, about every month, every series, we'll celebrate communion. Because Jesus said, remember me and celebrate the fact that I have saved you. I have rescued you. And we come together to do that. No more sin. No more slaves to sin. It's the greatest gift. Salvation and forgiveness of sin and being reconciled to God is awesome. So we, it is fantastic. Thank you. So we celebrate him. All right. And then you know what happens? That ends up being our story. That's my story to the world. And it's your story to the world. You get to tell people about what was going on before and the life you lived enslaved to sin and how Jesus rescued you. And you, just like the Israelites, were supposed to be a testimony to the world of being rescued. That's our testimony to the world as well. All right, it keeps you going. All right, let's go to the second festival. The second festival is called Pentecost. Pentecost. It was called the Festival of Harvest. It was also called the Festival of Weeks. And the reason it was called the Festival of Weeks is because you counted off seven weeks, okay, from Passover, and that's when you would actually celebrate Pentecost. And the reason they call it Pentecost is because that's the Greek word for 50. 
So that's where it comes. You have 50 days from the Passover. Now think about this. So all of Israel is in Jerusalem celebrating God's deliverance. 50 days later, they're all back again. <laughs> and now they're celebrating Pentecost. Now the history of this was literally to celebrate his goodness and his provision. You're celebrating, God says, remember that I'm good and that I provide for you, all right? So here's, here's what Pentecost is to me. It's when you celebrate the present, which is God's presence. So we celebrate what he's done for us, but now God is saying, great, yes, and don't forget, don't forget, I've rescued you. But now he's saying, celebrate right now. So initially, this was done to celebrate the harvest, and they were supposed to bring their best, the first fruits of the harvest. So basically, it was a chance for the Israelite people to say, we're giving you, God, our best. Thank you for being faithful to us. But eventually, this became the season. They believed that this was also the season where the law, the Ten Commandments, was given to them on Mount Sinai. So really, the whole idea of being, being, bringing the first fruits actually started to dissipate, and it was taken over by a celebration that God has given us during this season, the law. One uh, quote that I read as I was studying this, a guy said, the Passover freed us physically from bondage, but the giving of the Torah on Shabbat redeemed us as spiritually from our bondage to idolatry and immorality. So we went through this, the covenant, that God, in this point, he's like, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. I want to be in relationship with you. So I'm going to give you this covenant, this law, and it set the people free because now they knew what was good and what was right, and they could follow that. But as well, the emphasis on giving, and the one guy said this, the emphasis, the celebration was the giving of the law to them. And he said, because the receiving of the law should be happening every day. <laughs> he gave it back then, but the receiving, the living, the following should be happening every single day. And what did that mean? Again, in that day and age, there were so many cultures that were so immoral and so corrupt, sacrificing their children in worship. And God was like, I want you to show the world me. So here's my law. Here's my nature. Here's my character. Here's how you love me. And here's how you love each other. So when in this covenant during that day, they were reminded and they would celebrate God gave us the law to set us free from a corrupt, destructive life. And instead to live a life that's holy and good and pleasing. And they were supposed to show that to the world. Now remember this. Every time there was a festival, Everybody came together. So let's go to the New Testament. It's Pentecost, and all of Israel is in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 2, it says this. So Jesus has died. He's risen from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, okay? All of Jesus' followers were together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
So what do we celebrate when we celebrate Pentecost? The celebration, 50 days when God was bringing all of Israel together, 50 days earlier, Jesus Christ had died and rose again to forgive everyone of their sins. And on Pentecost, on the time when all the Israelites were together, celebrating that God gave them the law, God gave us the Holy Spirit. And all of Israel was there to witness this and to experience. Now, what's the significance of this, okay? In Jeremiah 31, 35, in the Old Testament, a prophetic statement, God says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, God was saying, yes, you've celebrated the covenant, this law that you were supposed to follow, but I'm doing something new. I'm writing the law on your heart. And you guys, I just want to tell you again, this has been the most amazing experience, 30 over 30 years of walking with God, is that when you make a decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you do receive forgiveness of all your sin, which is awesome, and I'm so grateful. But then he says, you also receive my spirit. And now there's the spirit of God inside you, in your heart. God writes his law in here. And the craziest thing is now you actually, I actually, anybody who's ever really received Jesus, you actually want to follow God. <laughs> You have a new heart. It's a new heart. 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul put it this way. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Do you guys notice what he says? You show that you are a letter from Christ. Why? Because anybody who's received him, you have the spirit of God now in you. And so you celebrate that. You celebrate the present. That means there's not one moment of any day ever that I don't walk this planet that Jesus Christ isn't in me and with me. Amen? Amen. Amen. That is awesome. And so he says, remember that. Now look at, he says, you show yourselves that you're a letter. Because Acts, Acts 2, again, this is fascinating to me, that God had the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost when all of Israel was there. And here's what he told his people. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And in that moment when he said that he filled them with the supernatural ability this is, you just go home and read Acts 2. I don't have time. It's fascinating. All these tribes, all these languages from all over the world. And when the Holy Spirit filled that group of people, they were speaking in all of those languages. And everybody was going, what's going on? They literally go, how are you speaking? And I understand you in my language. It was a supernatural work. You know why? Because God loves the world. And when he fills people with his spirit, he wants us to speak in ways that minister to people all around the world because God wants people to be saved. That's what happens on Pentecost. He fills us with his spirit and we go out. 
And man, and just as I celebrate my relationship that I have with Susie, Pentecost is when we celebrate the present that I have God right now. And when you remember he is with you, you know what happens? It keeps you going. You celebrate that and it keeps you going. All right, let's go to the last one. Last festival is called the festival, I'm gonna call it the festival of tents. Now, nobody else calls it that exact word, but I'm gonna call it that. The actual Hebrew word is Sukkot. And most of the time, it'll be called the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe you've heard of that, or the Feast of Booths. Initially, it was called the Feast of Ingathering because it's in the fall and it's at the end of the harvest. So God was saying, after all of the agricultural season, he goes, I want you, everybody come again and gather and we're gonna celebrate my faithfulness to you. This year, it's October 13th through the 20th. You know, I think God was saying at the end, hang on. Just hang on, hang on till the end because God is faithful in the end. And you celebrate his faithfulness at the end of the harvest. One more time, God has given us what we need. Now, the reason it's called Sukkot, tabernacles, I'm saying tents because that word makes the most sense for us. Because a tent is something you put up and you tear down, right? It's very temporary. You don't live in tents, you set them up and you tear them down. And that's what the word Sukkot actually means. So when they came, picture this, all of Israel, thousands of people, they all come to Jerusalem and during that week, they have to put up tents. But they're actually made out of like palm branches and leaves, a really flimsy uh, little, little booths that they would live in. And the reason was because God wanted them during this week to remember the 40 years, remember your time in the wilderness. Remember the time before you actually entered into the promised land. And they were so supposed to celebrate that. And so for seven days, they presented offerings to the Lord. And, one, and actually, one thing I was studying, it said they called this the season of our joy. <laughs> this was unreserved joy. I, I've never been there. But apparently, they would say it predominated all the other holidays. This one is when everybody was freaking celebrating. It was a major, major party. And so, why? Because though we lived in temporary houses, God was faithful. He gave us what we need. He gave us manna in the desert. He gave us water in the desert. And not only was he faithful to us in the wilderness, he was faithful to get us to the promised land. So come together and remember that. You have a God who's faithful to you in your temporary situation, and you have a God who will get you into the promised land. So what's this, you guys? Sukkot, it's when you celebrate the future, and you celebrate God's promise with us now and with us forever. And I want to tell you, man, this keeps you going. Now, here's what's crazy about this. I have never celebrated Sukkot in my life. Anybody in here ever celebrated this? No. Okay, one of one. I'm sure Marty has over here. Okay, I, I, I mean, I've been in church my whole life. I celebrate Easter. I know what Passover is. We have to do Christmas. I, I know that Pentecost, to be honest with you, even the churches I grew up in, Pentecost, we didn't, I knew what it was. We didn't celebrate it as a day. I have never in my life experienced in church together in the fall, in October, everybody coming together and having the greatest party of the year. <laughs> Why don't we do that? I can tell you this, man. Get ready next year, October. We're going to be celebrating. Why? 
What should we celebrate? Why should we celebrate the festival of tents now? Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. In this section, what Paul is trying to help us understand, he goes, do you guys know this thing right here, this guy that you, that you all have? It's temporary. This is a tent. It is an earthly tent. But after you die, your body, he said, is going to be transformed into a glorious body. It's a house. It's something that will last forever. And then I didn't put this up here, but four verses later, he says this. Now, the one who fashioned us for this, in other words, God made us temporary. You all know you're going to die? Yeah, you all know that. You all know this is not going to last. And he fashioned us to have bodies that are tense. Because for this very purpose, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose, for an eternal body is God, who has given us, listen to this, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God wants you to know that we are absolutely, anybody in here who's received the spirit, who is reconciled with God right now, you and I can know with absolute certainty that when this thing is done, which God fashioned it to be done, I'm going to be with him forever. And you know what's crazy? When I thought about this, I go, man, years ago, you guys remember when we did the series on heaven in here? Attendance went whoosh, totally rose. Because I think most of us are going, what's going to happen when I'm done? What's it like after this? Because we know we're dying and we need the hope of heaven. And we need to know this, right? We need to know that when life is shaking down here, because it's shaking, right, all around us. Every day you read the news. People are dying. It's hideous. There's division. It's horrible. There's suffering. There's illness. There's... And when that stuff is happening, we need to remember, of course, because this is not what it's all about. So we need to remember that. And so I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Celebrate. Come together and rejoice. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Amen. Yeah. See, and I, can, I can tell like right now. See, that's what we need to know. And I can tell you this, man. When life is getting hard and you want to give up, and it's not going the way you thought it would. And it feels like God is unfaithful. Can, I've been to Israel, man. You, you go out there into that wilderness, and I'm like, yeah, I'd have been complaining too. It was nasty and desolate. And you had to be thinking, where's this faithful God? Right? And what did they say? Just send us back to Egypt. Did you just bring us out here to die? And sometimes we get that way too. We didn't get the job. The person that we loved left us. We got an illness and now I'm suffering from cancer. And we sit there saying, where's God? Where's God? And he's going, I am with you in your wilderness. 
And I have given you the spirit so that you can have a living hope because someday you're going to have a house for a body and it will never perish. It will never spoil and it will never fade. And you can know that. And when you celebrate that, it keeps you going. It keeps you going. It keeps you going. Now, remember what was happening? All the Israelites would come together for Sukkot. So they're all there. And then in John chapter 7, there's a narrative of Jesus going to the festival of tabernacles. And now you guys have probably read the Bible and you're like, I don't know what the festival of tabernacles is. Well, now you do. So the whole company's there and everybody's partying. And I, the last thing we're going to do here is I'm going to introduce to you Marty Solomon. Marty uh, was Derek Murphy's uh, youth pastor, actually. <laughs> and, uh, but he also has studied the Old Testament scriptures deeply. So when we were putting this, the whole series together, we called him, we did a FaceTime thing, and we were just learning from him. And man, and when we got to this point, he shared what actually happened in John 7 when Jesus was there. And it was so awesome that I said, there's no way I'm going to even give it. I can't do this. He just happened to be in town this weekend. And so I want Marty to come and share with you the beauty to close off our message of what happened at the Feast of the Tabernacles when Jesus went. You guys welcome Marty to the stage. So we have this story in John 7. There's a bunch of context here that just makes this thing just explode with color. Jesus is in uh, Festival of Tabernacles. He's there on what we're told is the last and greatest day of the feast, your text says. Now that means it comes at the very end of the festival. So every single night of the festival, people are gathering at the temple to offer one of those sacrificial offerings every single night. And at the last night of the festival, there happens to be what's called the water ceremony. Okay? And I got to say about this water ceremony, you can understand what, what, what comes out of Jesus' mouth. You gather together at the water ceremony, and God said back in Torah, he said, when you gather for this last and greatest day of the feast, you are supposed to bring with you your lulav. Say lulav. Lulav is, and God said this. He said, here's your lulav. It's a palm frond, a myrtle branch, a willow branch, and an etrog, a, a, a citrus fruit. Now, in good Jewish fashion, one of the things we always love about what God does in his scriptures is he didn't tell them what to do with any of it. And, and Jews believe that God does it on purpose. He, like, gives us instructions and then says, I can't wait to see what you're going to do with that. <laughs> like, can you imagine a bunch of Jews standing there with a palm frond, a myrtle branch, a willow branch, and an orange and going... And God going, can't wait to see what you're going to do with this. So uh, there, there's a rabbinic story about some child that tied them all together one day and started shaking this palm frond. And one of the rabbis standing there, one of the sages standing there said, listen, have you ever been in a room where you shake a bunch of palm fronds? What does it sound like? It sounds like rain. If you shake a hole, if we all had a palm frond in here, we all shook it, it would sound like it was raining. And they said, oh, we're here celebrating the harvest. We're here celebrating God's provision, but we're also here looking towards the future and hoping that God will always provide for us. And so if God doesn't send us what next year? If God doesn't send us rain, and so there's a psalm in your book of Psalms, and it says, Hoshana. Say Hoshana. Hoshana. We usually say Hosanna, but the Hebrew is Hoshana. God save us. God save us. And you go up to this. And so what happens? You all go up there. Some scholars say there's, there, there are as many as a million people in Jerusalem. 
Hundreds and thousands of people. You can't all fit in the Temple Mount, but it is packed. We're told that Jesus goes up to the Temple Mount on the last and greatest day of the feast. You all gather with your, your lulav, and a high priest comes out, and you're all shouting, Hoshana! Listen, Jews do not throw a reverent, quiet party. They're not known for their reverent, quiet parties. They're all shouting, Hoshana, Hoshana, Lord save us, Lord grant us success. The priest comes out with a pitcher. Not, not like a, I always say that word funny, not like a pitcher, like a, but like a pitcher, like a pour, I don't know. Anyway, never, that joke works other ones. Um, so he walks out with a pitcher. He does seven laps around the great altar. And on the seventh lap, he stops at the bottom of the ramp. And everybody shouting Hoshana falls dead silent. He walks up the ramp, holds the pitcher, turns it, and it's empty. A symbol, a reminder if God doesn't provide water, we're toast. He walks down the ramp. As soon as his feet hit the bottom of the ramp, everybody goes crazy. Hoshana, Hoshana. You said you could hear this from miles away. Hoshana, Hoshana. He walks all the way down to the pool of Siloam. He fills up his pitcher. He walks back up to the Temple Mount. Everybody, Hoshana, Hoshana. He gets to the seven laps around the altar. Seventh lap, he gets to the bottom of the ramp. He walks up, he lifts the pitcher. Everybody falls dead silent. He pours the pitcher and the water would fall on that hot altar and it would cause this huge cloud of steam, reminding you of that presence of God and his great provision. Now we're told in John 7 that Jesus is on the Temple Mount. And we're told that at some point during the festival, he cries the last and greatest day of the feast during the water ceremony, he cries out. Now I don't know, I can't, the text doesn't tell me this, but when is the only logical time that Jesus can cry out if he's wanting to be heard? When there's dead silence. Can you imagine, this is eerie like chills moment, can you imagine at that day, on the last and greatest day of the feast, during the water ceremony, I don't know if it was the empty pitcher or the full pitcher, but on one of those silent moments, we're told that Jesus, I, I picture him standing on a dove crate in the back. All of a sudden, the voice of a rabbi saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And streams of living water will flow from within him. There's this beautiful moment as you're thinking about water and God's provision. What has always struck me as interesting though, is what Jesus does and doesn't say. When he says that, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, Jesus says. And streams of living water will flow from within him, not Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, come to me if you're thirsty and streams of living water will flow from me to you. He says, if you're thirsty, come to me and then streams of living water will flow from you. Check it out in John chapter 7. It's been one of the most foundational teachings for me as I've studied the festivals in light of Jesus. I would imagine that here in Salt Lake City, there is a group of Jesus followers here at K2 and elsewhere. And you gather here together because you're coming to Jesus and you are thirsty, correct? And that's not where God wants the story to end, not at K2, not anywhere else, not anywhere else in his body. 
But God has plans. If you come to him when you are thirsty, streams of living water are going to flow from you out, I would imagine, into this greater world here in the greater Salt Lake City area. That would be my prayer for you guys here at K2. Man, I, I just got to tell you, I have, I have loved uh, studying this this week. And, and I also know that I, I can't be the same after this. I, I just want to close this up by reminding you, God is the one who says, come and celebrate the past. Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate your salvation. Celebrate your forgiveness. But then that story is your story to tell to the world so that other people who are broken and who need forgiveness know that there's a God who will love them no matter where they're at. And then he says, and come and celebrate Pentecost. Come and celebrate the present. Remember this. I'm in you. I'm in you. I'm with you. Everything you need for life and godliness you have because I'm in you. But when the Spirit of God is in you, again, he says, and you will be my witnesses. You will be empowered by me to go with me into this world. And that's why we need to remember that this isn't just about us. We come together so that we go out together. And then this last one for me, which I can't wait to start celebrating, is just remembering that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what's happening around us, and you guys write everything around us, it feels like it's shaking. Isn't it cool that the Bible says, but we have received a kingdom that can't be shaken. And I want to tell you, man, what better witness do we have in the world? than to gather together to celebrate and remember his faithfulness in our temporary state and remember the absolute assurance that we're going to heaven so that we can walk out into this world on Monday where everybody's freaking out and we're not freaking out. And they'll look at you and they'll go, hi, why are you not freaking out? Because I have a living hope and a guarantee of something that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Man, can I just, let me just pray for us. God, I just ask, in Jesus' name, would you help us to be better partiers? Would you help us to celebrate more, more faithfully your goodness, your power, your promise, your presence? God, you are so good, and we love you today, and we thank you that we weekly we get together to be able to do this, to remind ourselves. But may you now fill us with that spirit, the streams of living water, flowing from within us to this world. And God, as we celebrate, we pray that you would do that, that you would bless the world all around us through us. In Jesus' name, amen.